Chapter Twenty Two of the Randolphs by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two: Home Missions. And there was Helen standing in the aisle, calmly waited for by the minister, while the unsuspecting brother hurried away, supposing he had arranged matters very satisfactorily. There was no recourse but to lead the way to the Randolph house with what grace she could, and Helen walked on before feeling that this thing was sorely against her will, for more reasons than one. The clergyman was not a difficult person to entertain. Indeed, from the first, he was unlike any one she had ever seen. His first opening of conversation was strikingly unlike what she expected. He made no remark on the weather or the beauty of the elegant church which they had just left. Instead, he said, suddenly, as one absorbed in the thought and imagining that all others were equally interested. That was a remarkable text I preached from this morning, wasn't it? I don't know when any verse of the Bible has come to me with such force. Unpaid vows. Only think of it. Isn't it startling when we remember to whom they are due? Very, Helen said, and something in her voice caused him to turn his eyes from space and look searchingly at her. "'Who does pay them?' she asked, bridling suddenly, as if he had accused her of unfaithfulness, and speaking almost fiercely. "'I am sure I don't know of anyone who lives up to his profession in the sense that you talked about this morning.' His answer, if answer it could be called, was certainly very peculiar. "'Don't you know one who is trying to?' The emphasis on the word one was very marked." There was no escaping the fact that he meant her to understand that she, herself, was the one meant. "'No,' she said, speaking as before, with a sharpness that was almost fierce. "'Do you mean that you have never made any vows?' "'No, she could not say that. It would not be true. She had too recently gone over that day, when the solemn public vows were taken, to be able to ignore them now.' her answer was less sharp but it was distinct yes i have vowed then you cannot mean that you are not trying there was consternation in his voice not feigned but real genuine dismay to this honest man it was evidently no light thing to promise and not perform even when the one promised was the lord himself it is a strange thing but how can we help believing it to be actually the case that people who would be shocked at the idea of violating their word given to their fellow-men, yet seem to ignore, without much trouble of conscience, the most solemn obligations made to God. The actual enormity of this proceeding had never struck to Helen's conscience so forcibly as it did at the moment when that probing question was put. Natures constituted like hers are rarely stirred deeply without becoming, or seeming to become, very irritable. She answered in great heat and haste. Yes, I mean just that. I don't think I have tried at all, not for this long time. I doubt whether I ever really tried. I was led into a public profession, as many another person has been, when I did not know what I was about, and much good I have ever done the church. I am in a false position. I never realized it as I have done today. Your sermon has accomplished so much. Perhaps you can tell me how to get out of it. Does the church release people from its role? How shall I manage? I have no desire to be where I do not belong. 
I know of but one way, he said. His voice had lost its excited, astonished tone, and was quiet and firm. I know of but one honorable way. Pay that which thou hast vowed. It is the command of God himself. It seems to be the way he has chosen for helping people who are in trouble, and who are sincerely desirous of getting out. I know there is such talk as release from the church roll, as though the vows were all made to the church instead of the church being only a witness. I know people think they are doing a very honorable thing to stay away from the communion when they feel that they have not lived a right sort of life. But only see how foolish it is. If you had made your brother a promise, and had called on me to witness to it, and had broken that promise again and again, would it make matters all right for you to refuse to have anything to do with me, the witness? This was the beginning of it. The Randolph house was some distance away, and the talk continued. It continued after they went to the parlor, and though Helen broke away from it for a time, after dinner, when she came down to play, after the music was over, chance led her to the seat near the clergyman, and some sentence that seemed to her to be a chance one led them back into the very topic again. That was weeks ago. Much had transpired since then. The home missionary still lingered in the city, taking trips constantly to other cities and towns, but making the Randolph house his headquarters by the eager invitation of the host. Tom felt the influence of such guests in the house. Helen saw much of this guest, heard much from him, chiefly at first on this, to him, absorbing subject, personal and entire consecration. Gradually, almost imperceptibly to herself, her ideas and feelings began to change. I do not know, and I am not sure that she knows herself, whether during all those past years of church membership she was a Christian or not. She vexed her soul over the weary question for long days, but she had finally to give it up as, after all, of minor importance, compared with the vital one waiting to be answered. She came finally to understand that the point was not, was I a Christian last year, or last week, or even yesterday? But, do I mean to be one today, now? When at last she was able to rest her heart on that one question, she began to feel that there was such a thing as solid rock, and that she must have it for a foundation. There was no sudden experience of light and brightness. Instead, the way was obscured for a good while. She had had much light given her heretofore, and had chosen to go veiled, refusing to receive it. Why should it come in floods of glory to her now? But, after all, there came to be a sense of peace, of security, of humility, and yet of assurance. She walked softly, as one almost in a dream, as one who feared a rude awakening. She worked softly, so softly that she herself hardly realized that she was working at all but she realized that she was looking for work and wanted to do it, and such people are generally at faithful work, though they may not know it. Maria had felt the change and wondered over it, and feared at times that Helen was going to be very sick. That is as far as she reached in understanding the secret. I am not sure but sickness was the only power she recognized as a subduing agency. Among other things about her sister that she did not know, it so happened that she had never met and never heard of this man 
whose sermon had been the instrument used to set these new experiences in motion. We left him, you may remember, standing with Helen on the side piazza, or rather they were just about to enter as Maria vanished upstairs. She was gone just long enough to brush over her somewhat ruffled hair, exchange a somewhat soiled kitchen apron for a fresh one of the same fashion, and then she descended. It would have been too great a concession to the manners and customs of the silly world to have left that kitchen apron hanging in its place and gone down without one, though she had no special use for such an article for some time to come. But this girl was so sensible that any such foolish concession to the pride of other people was not to be thought of. There are a great many such sensible people in the world, and the world does not love them at all, and half of the time it is their own foolish fault for being so cranky over trifles. So down came Maria in a big dark calico apron which nearly covered her up. Her action lost half of its martyr element this time, for the two people standing in the little sitting-room both looked and acted as though they did not know whether her apron was of silk or tow-cloth. "'Maria,' Helen said, turning to her the moment the door opened, and there was a flush on her cheek deeper than usual. Let me introduce you to the Reverend Mr. Leonard, my sister Maria, Mr. Leonard. How do you do? asked the Reverend gentleman, and his voice was genial and hearty, and he shook her hand in an altogether unconventional manner. I have heard of this sister several times in the course of the last few weeks. How is your father today? Do you mean to let me have a little bit of a talk with him, or don't you think it would be prudent? They tell me you watch over his comfort with a forethought and carefulness that are wonderful. Then he helped himself to a seat, and continued talking about her father, asking questions as to his sickness, and the remedies in use and their effect, with such interest and with evidently so thorough an understanding of sickness, and such a common-sense view of its needs, that Maria felt her stiff dignity, which she had put on to greet a stranger and a minister, thawing rapidly. She surprised herself by the detail with which she entered into a description of her father's state, and became deeply interested in Mr. Leonard's suggestion as to certain strength-giving potions. Helen, meantime, seemed suddenly to have lost the grace and ease for which she had always been remarkable in the entertainment of strangers, and was silent and flushed. Maria could not tell what to think of her. Presently the question of a call on the father came up again, and Maria was sufficiently thawed to admit, graciously, that when he awoke, if he felt as well as usual, she knew of no reason why he would not like to see Mr. Leonard for a few minutes. "'I should imagine, from some things you have said, that you have seen a sick man before, and have a little common sense left as to what weakness is able to bear, which is more than can be said of the majority of people who come to call on him. This sentence, uttered in a half-savage tone, was as nearly a compliment as any that Maria had ever spoken. It ended in her going to the sick-room, and returning presently with the gracious permission to make a ten minutes call, or, if her father did not seem tired, fifteen minutes. No, it did not end in that way. Mr. Leonard had risen, and was moving toward the bedroom door, when he suddenly turned and said thoughtfully, "'Perhaps this is hardly the right thing after all, Helen. I think we can be wiser than this.' 
"'What on earth does the man mean?' was Maria's mental comment. Then he turned to her. "'The truth is, my friend, I shall have to make a confidant of you. I am very willing to do so, I am sure, and it seems to be the prudent way. Do you think your father sufficiently strong this morning for an important conversation? I am going home in another month, and I want to take your sister Helen with me. Do you think I may ask him for such a favor, or ought I to wait until a more favorable time?' Now, of all the experiences of Maria's life, and some of them had been startling enough, nothing had ever so amazed her. She stood still, with her hand on the knob of her father's door, and looked from one to the other of the two people standing near her, with a face in which astonishment and incredulity curiously blended. Helen's face flushed crimson before the look, the flush running up to her very hair she could realize in a measure what this surprise was to maria as for mr leonard he laughed good-naturedly what do you mean maria asked at last where is your home if you will be so kind as to state and what can you possibly want of helen she is not strong enough for a teacher and besides it would be a dreadful life for her i should hate to have her a martyr to that extent there was a tremulousness in her voice and an evident desire to shield Helen that strangely moved that older sister. Some way she felt then, as she never had before, what a caretaking, burden-bearing life Maria led, and was willing to lead for them all. Mr. Leonard seemed to appreciate it. He spoke quickly and with feeling. "'I will shield her in every way in my power. Her life shall not be harder than I can help.' and as for the trials and privations, I think she is ready for them, and willing to bear the burden. My home is in southern Michigan, and she will have but one scholar. As her husband, I think I can make the work easier for her than if she went out alone. I am a home missionary, you know. Still Maria stood looking at them, the surprise in no way lessening, the incredulous look deepening, if anything. It was becoming very embarrassing, at least to Helen, until suddenly Maria ejaculated three words so full of pent-up astonishment that they bristled with exclamation points. Helen Monroe, a missionary! They had the effect of producing a reaction on Helen's excited nerves. She had been on the verge of tears. Now she laughed. Dropping into the nearest chair, she covered her glowing face with her hands and shook with laughter, in which Mr. Leonard seemed to feel moved to join with great apparent satisfaction. In the midst of this, Mr. Randolph's voice was heard calling Maria. She escaped into his room, and when, a few minutes thereafter, she emerged, propriety had returned to the two in the sitting-room, and they were sitting in decorous quiet waiting for a chance to make that call. "'Go on, Helen,' said Maria, leaving the door ajar and motioning them in. She seemed to have determined that it was Helen's place to introduce the stranger. And Helen, followed by Mr. Leonard, went softly into the quiet room, and Maria herself shut the door after them with a little nervous click and a curious sensation in her throat. End of chapter 22